and had seen me over the course of 2018, you know, fall off the bike and get back on and then fall off the bike and get back on. And he said that resilience and that grit and now being, you know, connected to a a why and a personal story is why I want to be part of this. listening to People Building Businesses, the podcast that promises to give you a real insight into how companies grow. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, you can subscribe in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. And we have a video version of the show on YouTube as well. Our guest on this episode is Jordan Evans. Jordan is the founder of Mingle Seasoning, which is a range of all-natural seasonings that's changing Australians' relationship with cooking and food in a very positive way. Since starting the business in 2016, Jordan has seen huge growth. The brand's social audience is now over 50,000. Mingle is stocked in 400 stores, including supermarket giant Kohl's. She's taken part in two top-class accelerator programs and is building real momentum with her business. A lot to talk about, so let's get into it. Welcome, Jordan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. No, it's great having you here. Um, I've certainly watched your journey and growth um, as part of the Melbourne Accelerator Program, Mm -hmm. but I like starting the podcast by understanding um, Jordan the person. So talk to us about, you know, where you grew up, um, maybe some early influences in your life and uh, how you got to be the Jordan Evans that you are today. Yeah, awesome. Um, So I grew up in a suburb called Essendon. One of three girls, middle child, um, definitely suffered from middle child syndrome growing up and always felt like a bit of a bit like the black sheep of the family. Um, My dad uh, owned his own business, still owns his own business, uh, has, I think, business owner of 40 years. Wow. Uh, And my grandpa has also been uh, a business owner. So I kind of, yeah, grew up around business owners. As for school. I was a bit of a nerd growing up. Okay. Uh, loved the books, um, but went to a school where that wasn't really encouraged. So um, I got to university and was like, oh my God, like-minded people. And I, I, it's okay to want to learn and grow and develop. Um, so I think once I got to uni, that's where I probably uh, – I. I just embraced it and I, I, yeah, I think throughout my education, uni definitely was a highlight. Um, so you graduated university as a self-proclaimed nerd um, <laughs> and uh, you, you had some early, uh, early jobs before you started Mingle Seasoning. You spent two months at Deloitte yeah. and, um, and then a, a bit of time in Cappy Sparkling. Yeah, correct. Um, so talk to us about what that was like for you. Um, you know, you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, you, you've been around entrepreneurship all your life mm-hmm. and now you're starting out your early career. Mm-hmm. Was there a big difference in what you expected, you know, expectations versus reality? Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what did you learn as part of being in those companies as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I studied arts at Melbourne and I actually studied languages. Oh, that's cool. Right. Yeah. So I studied Japanese and Chinese. Right. And um, a lot of people going through their arts degree, I think at the end of my second year, Mm. I kind of obviously being a curious soul, loved the learning, but I was questioning my path and where I was going to go. Okay. 
Um, and so I thought a great, you know, um, a great alignment to languages would be business. And so that's where I explored uh, an internship at Deloitte. Sure. Um, and my eyes opened up to what life could be like if I combined my passion with languages and business. Yep. Um, I also socially loved the internship. Okay. And to be honest, upon reflection, one of the highlights was Friday night drinks. Right. <laughs> so I ended up being offered a, um, a graduate position at the end of my second year. And I ended up taking it because I, I thought that was going to be my chosen path sure. uh, in the corporate world. And then I ended up overloading because I had to, um, I had to learn accounting. Yeah. <laughs> so I essentially got a graduate job in accounting and I hadn't learned accounting. That's so strange. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Way to sell myself. But anyway, it's I... complete 380, <laughs> yeah. 360 from like languages to, to math I and know. accounting. I know. Um, but it, once again, it provided me with a great foundation for where I am today. Sure. Yeah. So I do believe... like you go through life and everything happens for a reason and I I was meant to learn and explore that part of my life Um, but at the the end of third year I really got um, maybe the corporate world wasn't for me sure being that rebellious soul yep Um, and so over my summer break before I made the decision to uh, not go to to Deloitte I decided to uh, do an internship in uh, marketing with a drinks company called Cappy Sparkling. Yeah. So at the time there were only, I think about four staff members. Oh, wow. Yeah. So super early days. Super early days. Um, and yeah, I think what held me in good steads is I obviously also didn't study marketing. Right. But just curious to learn, was always willing to ask a question and I was lucky enough that the founder of Cappy Sparkling um, saw something in me. Yeah. And so was lucky enough to secure a marketing assistant role um, and said to Deloitte, you know, thank you for the opportunity. But I but decided, no. yeah, I decided to um, to rock the startup world. Sure. And I also just saw it as an incredible opportunity at a, you know, at inception of, it was essentially a s- inception of Cappy and the yeah. brand and to really be hands-on, um, you know, building everything from A to Z. Yeah. A lot of people know Cappy as a really large drinks brand these days. And yeah. the fact that you were one of the first team members in, that must have been quite an experience for you. Um, and did it set you up for for what you would later experience in Mingle? And yeah. what were some of the key learnings that you've uh, you've received during your time in Cappy? Yeah. So I will be forever grateful for um, the founder of Cappy just believing in me and giving me um, the opportunity to to be honest, learn pretty much everything that I know um, and that I've instilled in Mingle has really been attributed to my experience at Cappy. Uh, So I I learned labelling, packaging, branding, product development, logistics, sales. I was lucky to go to retail meetings. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Paris for an incredible advertising campaign. Sure. 
uh, also export. So I was lucky enough to go to Shanghai and develop a strategy for China. Yep. Did your uh, background in Chinese help yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah. It's connecting it the actually, dots in hindsight. It actually did, yeah. That's amazing. I know. I now apologize to mum and dad. I say I'm, I'm currently not using my Chinese yep. other than... <laughs> Sometimes on Friday nights at Chinatown ordering dumplings. Yep. But, you know, China and Japan are huge startup economies. Yes. So you've actually set yourself up really, really yeah. well for tapping into funding and um, large markets as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it will definitely help um, in, with the future of Mingle as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, with Cappy, I just honestly learned how to operate and run a business sure. and also develop a premium brand. So um, the founder of Cappy... Uh, had incredible insights of where he wanted to take the brand and shake things up in a category that was dominated by mass market brands and drive premiumization. And essentially that's what I'm trying to do in Mingle is challenge these mass market brands with a new offering that's not just selling a commodity. I mean, at the end of the day, Cappy are just selling carbonated drinks, but it's the brand and it's the aspirational feel that people have when they hold a cappy bottle yeah. or hold a mingle bottle um that is driving that perceived value sure yeah it's the the different you can feel the difference in the philosophy of the company um what it stands for and um you know just we have cappy here for our friday night drinks as well there and you, uh, you know it, it certainly doesn't feel like one of the you know big brands like a coke or something you mm. know that a cappy is a is an upstart um, but you also know that it's anonymous with quality and i i presume that's where you're hitting with mingle as well yeah um, yeah certainly yeah, exactly what I, I learned from, from Cappy is having integrity with the product as well. And at the end of the day, if that's compromised, then the brand is also compromised. Right. Um, so having premium ingredients, not having preservatives and whether that involves, you know, sometimes those ingredients costing more or it not being as economical uh, short-term wise, sure. I think they were definitely big learnings that I learned from my experience at Cappy. Gotcha. So um, jumping into Mingle now, you started Mingle, or at least you had the, the initial sparks of the idea while you were still at Cappy. I know. Where did it come from, the, the, yeah. the spark or the idea? How did it start? Yeah. Um, so I was three years into my role at Cappy, and I had that, that itch for something more. And it honestly started one Sunday afternoon when I was, I was getting my meals prepped for the week. Um, went to the pantry, grabbed my, um, oh, I won't mention the name, but grabbed my <laughs> usual uh, go-to seasoning sure. that I just really, that brand I'd grown up with. And I think I'd never thought twice of why I consumed that product mm-hmm. just because it was in the pantry and that's what mum used. And because of my role at Cappy, I really did become more conscious of what was in products and looking and turning whatever I was consuming around, checking out what was actually in the product. And that particular day, I was like, you know what, this, this seasoning tastes so great, right. um, but what's actually in it? And much to my surprise, I started to see, you know, different flowers, sugars, high amounts of salt. And certain ingredients I couldn't even pronounce, to be honest. And in that moment, I just thought, I don't trust what I'm consuming. And I I saw a gap in the market and that's kind of where I I explored developing some some seasonings myself. 
Yep. Amazing. And, you know, we've interviewed a few people on the podcast now who have built software companies. And with software companies, all you need to do to start is just, you know, write a couple lines of code um, (laughs) and uh, off you go. Right. Yeah. It's obviously very different for the industry that you're in. Yeah. How did you get your start? What were the early days of Mingle like? It's so different from what you see in a software company. Yeah, it was it was like um, my poor neighbors thought. I may have been trafficking drugs because it was like Breaking Bad style with um, the mask around my face and the paprika or the cumin like on my shoulder. Um, So honestly, early days was I developed the blends in my kitchen Sure. um, and decided that I was just going to launch an online store and Instagram account and test the waters. Right. Um, and so developed and probably only for a week or two developed the blends in, in my kitchen and just fulfilled the orders from there. And then that kind of got out of hand and then moved to a commercial kitchen and then probably three or four months later moved to a manufacturing facility. Right. Okay. And, um, you know, you, you don't have a background in food except for your time at Cappy. So where does the inspiration for the flavors and the mixes, where did it all come from? Yeah. Um, well, I might take one step back. So the reason why I love seasonings is honestly based on convenience. So I was a working professional that didn't have a lot of time, but was looking for something that was super flavorsome and had a, you know, a bold punch and paprika just wasn't doing it for me. Like a single spice just wasn't doing it for me. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I was looking for a flavorsome blend. Okay. And then for me, what I wanted to create it with Mingle was um, a diversified offering that I could use every day. And so I just explored different flavors that were different enough, but um, would appeal to the general consumer. Right. Um, and then, and started from there. Yep. So I just, I, I honestly was like, I think there needs to be a garlic and herb blend. Okay. Maybe I'll get creative and, and develop that blend. Right. And then I was like, you know what? I have Mexican once a week. Why don't I develop a Mexican blend? Right. Okay. Um, and then honestly, it just naturally and organically went from there. And by the end of it, I had six savory seasonings. Out of how many seasonings that you've tested? Uh, I, I probably tested about... 20 to 25 okay. different flavors. Right. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. Um, so what was the catalyst for you to go, okay, it's time for me to to quit Cappy. It's time for me to actually jump straight into running this startup that I founded. What was the catalyst there? Um, so I managed full-time work and mingle for about eight months. Um, and the catalyst was I just didn't have enough hours in the day. Sure. And it really just came to the decision of, I currently don't have a mortgage. I decided to move back home. Right. In terms of mitigating risk, like there essentially wasn't much to put on the line. Okay. And I, I thought it's now or never. There's a gap in the category um, and I'm losing sleep yeah. and um, all poker chips in. It's, it's time to take the plunge and really give this a good hard crack. Sure. Uh, what did that extra time free you up um, to do? Once you've jumped straight into it, um, did you give you more time to think about marketing, about creating new blends, mm-hmm. about growing the business? Like, how did your world shift after making that jump into Mingle? Yeah. Um, well, when I made the shift, it's it's funny once again the the sequence of events. So once I really put that out there of all poker chips in, mm-hmm. um, 
for the first six months, I actually had a, was in an incubator program with Chibani Yogurt. Okay. But it was the perfect timing because I essentially had a very um, – well-oiled online business that was selling seasonings right but i where i wanted to take it was to become a food retail brand yeah and what that looked like obviously with my experience of cappy i had some knowledge but um for the first six months in the chibani program i really learned a lot more about scaling manufacturing working with retailers um and that really did hold me in good steads. Sure. So it was a lot of learning and development, to be honest, rather yep. than straight in business growth. Okay. And how did you find out about the Chobani Accelerator? What was the process um, of actually being part of the Accelerator? And what was the Accelerator like? They actually, um, which is, yeah, I, I guess a true reflection of Chobani, they actually approached me. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And they were like, uh, so they approached about 20 different food businesses sure. and took them all out for dinner. And said, hey, we're looking at developing an incubator program. Yeah. If you were applying for the program, what what would you want? And yeah. really, they developed the program for the entrepreneurs and what we were all looking for and sure. what the industry was looking for. Uh, and for me, as a single founder, the business journey before the Chibati program was quite a lonely one. Okay. And I have always been fiercely independent sure and what i initially learned from the chobani program was there were other food entrepreneurs out there and if we could all scratch each other's back how business and life could be better right and so one of the biggest learnings is i now just have like five other dear friends that will be I'll be friends with for life yeah that are going about you know the same challenges and just knowing that at any point I can pick up the phone and ask you know how'd you go with Woolworths or I'm doing this pricing matrix like do you have a template I think that was one of the biggest things I took away from that program sure yeah and then further to that Chobani's just a huge company that I you know hope Mingle can be uh one day just the founder has an incredible story, the way he treats his employees and gives them even, uh, I think after three years, they've got like an equity scheme with employees. Uh, just the way he operates his business, uh, regardless of how big they are, they still treat it like a family uh, culture. Sure, yeah. I definitely, I was definitely inspired by that. Uh, and honestly, yeah, manufacturing, how to... How to shake things up in a category. I mean, Chobani came in to the yogurt category at a time where I think Greek yogurt was only about 5% of the yogurt wow. category. okay. And now it's about 60% yep. Greek yogurt. In so, large part fueled by Chobani itself. Correct. Yeah. So they really, with, you know, just a quality natural pro, uh, product, really drove innovation into that category. And I then it opened my eyes to see what was possible in the spice category. Sure. That's amazing. And, yeah. uh, you know, we spoke a bit about this before we started the podcast. After the Chobani Accelerator, you joined the Melbourne Accelerator program. Yeah. A lot of listeners on the podcast would be familiar with MAP. Yeah. Um, some of them might have even gone through MAP themselves yeah. in the past. So what were some of the differences that you saw being part of a food accelerator and then being part of a, a pure startup accelerator? Uh, there must be some really interesting learnings that you've seen and you mentioned that you've actually taken uh, a lot more away from your time at map mm -hmm. um, so what are some of those 
learnings, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely saying my experience with Matt was different to my Chibani incubator program. Yeah. And I think that's obviously being a foodie. I have certain biases towards my product and the industry. And I was, I was sharing before of how refreshing it was to be around different entrepreneurs from different backgrounds, whether it be engineering, tech, education, um, it really challenged me and I, it allowed me to have a fresh perspective on my business. Um, and that's why I loved MAP so much Yeah, is I seek opportunities to either be the dumbest person in the room or just to sp- seek people that challenge my ideas. And I think MAP allowed me to not only do that, but also to see Mingle as a global business and ha- and think bigger. Sure. Um, and that's what was really inspiring being around the the map cohort. Through your time at Map, did it prompt um, did it prompt you to relook at your strategy and change courses? Um, what was what was that like for you? Um, you know, what were some of the changes that you uh, you made as part of the Miller Accelerator program that's gone mingled to where you are today? Yeah, um, I think I was always quite clear on my vision of where I wanted to take mingle in a food retail sense okay but i think what map helped me recognize was um in order to become a mass market brand i really did need to ask my customers what they liked and what they didn't like about my product and really be driven by data um to influence my decisions on a on a larger scale. Yeah. Talk to us about the pitching part of that because, um, you know, one of the big things about the Melter Accelerator program is that you actually have to get on stage to pitch to thousands and thousands of people. I know. What was it like for you? It was pretty nerve wracking. Pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. I have so much respect for any performer on that, thi- <laughs> like who's performed in that theater. Yeah. Um, and I was saying before, uh, so there were 10, 10 startups yep. in our cohort and uh, for launch night, I was, pitching uh I was number nine yeah um so we had dress rehearsal I remember it quite vividly we had dress rehearsal didn't really know any of the startups meeting for the first time and uh sat down and started watching pitch after pitch after pitch and I just remember the the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome certainly permeated (laughs) through my brain and you just start comparing yourself to, you know, people's numbers, people's growth, the way they pitch. And I, I just remember getting up there and having a mental blank in my dress rehearsal. Uh, but I managed to pull through, pull through on the night. Right. Uh, and yeah, I definitely, I, I won't forget that night. It was definitely memorable and everyone got around each other. Everyone could sense each other's nerves. Right. Um, but yeah, I recently went to the next cohort for that uh, night last week. I okay. think it was last week and it was it was nice to sit uh, and watch the pictures. Yeah, on the other side of the yeah. table. And you're an entrepreneur <laughs> residence now with Maps. So yeah. hopefully you can share some of your learning to the companies as yeah. well. And you know, you talked about imposter syndrome a few times. Uh-huh. And um I really want to get into that because I think a lot of founders mm-hmm. have that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, you're, you're constantly benchmarked by different companies you see in the news and TechCrunch. Company A raises a billion dollars and you kind of go sometimes, you know, like who am I to be among, you know, this kind of company? Yeah. How do you deal with imposter syndrome as a founder? Yeah. Yeah. So I think for most of the map 
uh, journey, I definitely was dealing with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Uh, and how I've kind of developed over time is just becoming more confident with my proposition. Right. And also not attaching my full self to my business. I think it's quite dangerous in the startup environment uh, to your whole identity to be associated with your brand or your business. Right. Um, And I just found constantly pitching myself at times a little bit, um, not exhausting, but I just like the growth and the numbers of my business isn't a reflection of who Jordan is fully. Sure. Um, So the imposter syndrome came to probably a little bit of a disconnect with what Mingle was for me. Right. Um, And over time I've – I'll take one step back of what I was struggling with at MAP was I am so much more than just selling spices. Right. And for people to just see me as a a spice brand, I – month after month discovered, hey, I need to actually pitch and sell myself in it. Not sell myself. I need to deliver my message in a different way. Right. Um, and I think by the end of the program, I refined that uh, and therefore was more confident in my proposition as a business. Yeah, I just wanted to add a tiny little sure, bit. Sure, yeah, um, please, yeah. So a lot of entrepreneurs usually launch a business in their, you know, the field that they've studied or worked right. in. And I obviously worked in FMCG, but didn't come from a food background. So I think imposter syndrome. What I've what I've um, dealt with is, I'm not an expert in spices, right? And I'm not an expert in food production. And I think I had to feel okay with not being an expert in that. Sure. And the reason why I'm okay now is um, selling spices, obviously. And seeing business growth, short-term wise, I was satisfied. Um, but I was like not feeling 100% fulfilled. And actually late last year got to the point of there must be more. Right. And um, I had just been working constantly and not really connecting with my family, with friends um, just honestly, just working on my business. Right. And I got to the point where I was getting resentful for Mingle. Sure. Um, and I ended up deciding, you know what? I just need to take a step back. Right. And get back to what actually matters to me as Jordan, Jordan Evans. <laughs> it sounded weird talking about myself in that person. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, and I picked up the phone and this was kind of a pivotal moment in my life and in my career with Mingle. Right. I picked up the phone and I s- called my grandma. And I said, Nan, um, I'm really sorry. I haven't called you for six months. And the reality is you're not getting any younger. And I've just been really selfish. And I think as an, a business owner, you, you do get, you get quite selfish and yeah. driven by numbers, results. And I said, I really miss you. So can you come around and I want to make you dinner and I want to make family and friends a priority and leave the office at an appropriate time. Um, and she was so excited. She was, yeah, she hadn't seen me for six months. So she came around with a bottle of champagne. I guarantee you there's a punchline here. This yeah. is a long story. <laughs> but anyway, I made her a delicious, quick and easy meal 
using Mingle. Of course. And she's quite a plain eater. So um, she thought it was awesome. And I was like, it took 15 minutes. Like it's nothing fancy. But for her, it was her granddaughter had created something that was tasty, flavoursome. And it was new for her. Yeah. And I sat there and similar to how I, you know, was brought up. I turned the TV off. I left the phone away from the table and I just sat there and connected with my nan. And maybe 10 minutes went by and I, I said, this is what life's about and this is what Mingle's about. Yeah. It's not about spices for me. Right. It's about empowering people to create in the kitchen and then that creation being, you know, a vehicle for people to connect. Sure. And um, two weeks after I ended up flying to the US to go to the Chobani uh, head office over in New York and uh, I arrived in LA, turned my phone on and had found out that my grandma actually had passed away from a heart attack. I'm really sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Um, as much as I was upset, yeah. in that moment, I, one, realized how precious life was, but two, I realized that now the legacy that I want to leave for Mingle is what I shared with my grandma. Right. And I'm just really grateful that I had that last memory with her and that message and that vision now I want to bring to life of, you know, reframing the way people look at cooking yeah. and rather than seeing it as a chore, seeing it as an opportunity to connect and now I'm like, it's so ironic that the name of my business is called Mingle. It's called, yeah, it's come full circle. <laughs> I know. And it's it sounds a bit woo-woo, but I feel like Mingle chose me. Yeah. And it was all, I was meant to go through this journey of feeling like my business was quite one-dimensional and completely commercial and it lacked that soul for me. Mm. And I am a passionate person. I am driven by wanting to create impact in this world. Right. And I now feel like, seasonings right now is just the vehicle for me to have that impact right yeah that's an incredible story thank you for sharing it no worries um you know when it's about building a spice company you look at the spices you kind of go okay i'm gonna mix a and b and that's mm. just it but now now with this new philosophy of where you want to take the brand and the company how has that affected the way that you're building mingled today yeah. what direction are you taking that's different from what you've taken in the past because of your new philosophy and your new outlook yeah. into the company yeah yeah so i also I realize now Mingle's not about me. Yeah. And it's not about external validation. It's about connection and con and collaboration. And so I had a business part uh, sorry, I had a mentor uh, that's mentored me for about about a year. Sure. And I remember being in the US and picking up the phone and saying, Matt, I have realized that this is the difference I want to make sure. and this is the business I want to create and I know I can't do it by myself anymore. Yep. And for 28, like 2018 for me was slogging it out, working my little butt off but doing it alone and that wasn't fulfilling me. And I said, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if I, you know, have to drive Ubers to fund this business. Right. I will do what I need to do to create the business I want. And through that conversation, he actually shared that he wanted to also come on board and right. be a business partner and an investor in Mingle yep. um, and had seen me over the course of 2018, you know, fall off the bike and get back on and then fall off the bike and get back on. And he said that resilience and that grit 
and now being, you know, connected to a, a why and a personal story yeah. is why I want to be part of this. That's fantastic. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. And, um, you know, one of the one of the great things about Mingle that I love so much about your company is um, you, you've got a really interesting and fun social media presence as well. Mm-hmm. And you've got a great digital presence. Yeah. What's the strategy around building that yeah. uh, the digital presence? And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it later on, but you eventually also moved into retail. Mm. Um, so why start digital and how did you first begin that process of promoting your company digitally and growing it that way? Yeah. Yeah, so I think typical millennial. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just thought Instagram was the way you launched businesses right. back in the day. Uh, but there was some strategy. I'm not going to um, lie. So I obviously recognized that I couldn't compete with the mass market brands. Sure. And so I needed to use a channel where, you know, I could win. And the rationale initially was... I don't want people to see this product as just a commodity. Okay. And how am I going to create that perceived value and also get people to promote my product? Because I don't have the advertising budget to promote this myself. And it's funny, the power of word of mouth. Right. So what what I did was I personified each seasoning uh, flavor after a different girl's name that you could mingle with in the kitchen. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So our Mexican seasoning is called Sofia. Our Moroccan seasoning is called Sahara. And the list goes on. And who I was targeting were young females aged 25 to 45. Sure. Who um, were Instagram and, and savvy on social media. And what I thought was if I can treat my seasonings as if they're people and people can build connections, right. you know, with the seasoning, then through that that relationship building, if they treat it like a person, then I'm reframing the way people view spices. And quite naive and ignorant, but it worked. So um, it prompted people to want to post their creations of what they were cooking and hold the mingle bottle and say, tonight I mingled with Sammy or tonight I mingled with Sahara. That's amazing. Yeah. And so through user generated content, it kind of snowballed and, you know, uh, a brand called mingle and the hashtag was let's mingle. And it created a story more than just spices. Right. Um, And through the power of word of mouth, it kind of, you know, it, it, uh, cannibalized from there so right. social media yeah I owe a lot to and uh, I mean the brand has developed from there from there now that I've transitioned into a retail brand the girls names aren't as prominent right. and we're moving more to flavor specific profiles sure yeah um, on the label but in early days that definitely created that loyal brand following and uh, and I also just through the tone of the voice of brand of the brand, I just I said the way I want to talk to people is I want it to be relatable. I want it to be approachable. Right. And I just talked to my customers like I talked to my friends. And I think that's something that a lot of mass market brands struggle with of how can we be authentic? Yeah. And people see straight through it. Yeah. And so it I think I've been refreshingly real and authentic and it's just resonated with people have any large brands approached you to ask how you built 
mingle from zero to 50,000 followers in such a short amount of time. I'm sure there's some learnings for them that you could share. Uh, the, the, I, I'm more than happy to share a few learnings. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't been approached by, by brands. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, they're, um, they, they're, they're certainly missing out. I, I do think it's harder to build an Instagram following or a social following nowadays. Right. So I, I acknowledge that I hopped on at, at a right, at a good time. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly am happy to share a few learnings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And uh, you mentioned um, that you were moving into retail. Um, you're now stocked in, you know, one of the largest retailers in Australia, Colts. Yeah. But I heard that you've got an interesting story about the time where you tried to pitch to Woolworths <laughs> in Sydney. <laughs> you guys so have done your research. We tried. We tried. <laughs> so for listeners out there, um, what was that story? And yeah. I'm sure they're, they're going to get a kick out of this one. Yeah. Okay. So my friends would know this, but and I'm definitely working on it. I was on time <laughs> today, but I am notoriously late. Right. <laughs> and um, so, yes, had the opportunity to pitched to Woolworths last year uh, around, I think it was the end of the Chobani program. Right. So Woolworths head office is up in Sydney and Woolworths head office is in Bella Vista, which is about an hour or so out of the city. Okay. So knowing how I usually operate, I decided to stay at Quest Apartments, which was 10 minutes away from Woolworths head office and the buyer, which I think was a bit of a test, decided to choose a 9 a.m. meeting. Right. Now, about 2,000 people are trying to get in to Woolworths head office at not around 9 a.m. Wow. And I did not know this. Yep. So, I think I left about 45 minutes to get to Woolworths and only had 10 minutes to travel. And I remember getting on the freeway and it was bumper to bumper. And I had to veer right okay. and waited 10 minutes and I was like, okay, it's all right. I've got time. I've got time. <laughs> Another 10 minutes goes by and I like am hardly moving. Oh no. And I was in a rental four-wheel drive and decided, okay, I'm going to hop in the left lane and try and do a U-turn. Right. And did a U-turn and still was not moving. And I think I had about... 15 minutes left until it was my meeting and I've flown up for this meeting. I've worked so hard for this pitch and I was like, I am not missing this <laughs> meeting. So having the luxury of a four wheel drive, I ended up, um, uh, mounting the curb <laughs> <laughs> and driving on the curb illegally uh, to get to Woolworths and I, I was hot, like sweaty, hot and bothered uh, running to the meeting but I had like two minutes to spare and as I was driving on the curb, I was like, I hope my buyer that I'm pitching to is not in one of these cars. Right. <laughs> but it kind of worked in my favour because the buyer came came out on time and uh, – and he said, you know, how's your morning been? And I said, <laughs> mate, oh my God, Do you have a story this shows my level of dedication. I just, you know, mounted the curb to meet, meet the, get to this meeting on yeah. time. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of refreshing. And I think one, it mellowed my nerves, but two, he just was like, oh, this person's just a, a normal human being. And it, it really created, you know, uh, good, good banter. And yep. I also was, I think retail buyers have 
this rep in the industry of being, uh, I need to choose my words wisely, of, you know, being strict negotiators. Sure. Wow, that was diplomatic. Yeah, super diplomatic. <laughs> Um, and at the end of the day, they're just real people. Right. <clears throat> so I think it was nice and refreshing that I used that reference and then the meeting went about in a really casual manner and I, I really appreciated that. Okay. And um, so you, you did the pitch with Woolworths and um, you're now working with Coles. So what was, what was it like pitching to Coles? Um, any tips for the listeners out there on how to get a pitch across the line with such a big company? I think what has held me in good steads mm. with sales and whether it's pitching to Coles or Woolworths is just being empathetic and constantly putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Right. And so rather than – and like what I said with, you know, the startup environment is constantly pitching yourself and going, this is how good I am. These are my numbers. I think what has worked in my favour when even when dealing with Coles and – a lesson that I've refined over time is why would that buyer want to talk to me? Right. And how am I going to make that buyer look good? If that buyer is driven by KPIs and sales targets and margins, I need to consider that sure. and that needs to be part of the pitch. And if they feel like I know what, you know, they're driven by, it's kind of like just under, it's like human psychology. It's like knowing knowing what people are driven by and then delivering the story and the solution to that. And so, um, essentially, that that's that's how I did it. Of you know, this category lacks innovation. Sure, I'm here to shake things up. I have this social media following and I'm going to bring new incremental shoppers into your store right. that will drive not only value to the spice category, but then they're going to go to the fresh food section and buy more vegetables. And, you know, I also had, I guess, the strength of having a direct-to-consumer relationship and having yeah. my online store is I had statistics of as well what other products people would buy through the shopping process. Sure. Um, so using the, that worked in my favor and I was just lucky, lucky enough that a, a buyer saw an opportunity for the category, um, and, and, and chose me and I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity. That's great. And you're not just stocked in Coles, you're also stocked in 400 stockists in Australia, mm -hmm. um, in, you know, brands, uh, like Govita, Lamana, Flannery's. Yeah. Far cry from the early days of just mixing the spices up and creating your own blends in the yeah. kitchen. What does the manufacturing process look like now from end to end? Yeah. Um, so I have two facilities. Uh, so one's in Dandenong uh, and the other one is in Oakley. Uh, and what it looks like is uh, so one facility sources all the ingredients blends them all together based on my recipes. Right. So I own all the IP, which um, was something that I really was quite strict on uh, as a lot of third-party manufacturers try and take that IP or, or manage that IP. Right. Um, and then the spices go to another facility, which uh, is a filling and labeling facility. And what's quite beautiful about that facility is they hire people with disabilities right. um, and give them employment opportunities that they wouldn't have elsewhere. Um, so I love going out to that facility, uh, and uh, it's an incredible it's an incredible foundation. 
Sure. What, yeah. was the, what was the process that you took to actually find these facilities and decide to work with these facilities? Because for a lot of people trying to crack into the market, it's not immediately apparent for them how they should, where they should start or who they should talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I think my experience with Kathy and Shabani worked in my f- favor. Yeah. Um, and also something that I am still working on is uh, working with smaller suppliers. And now I'm at the point of continuing to scale of working with bigger suppliers and managing you know minimum order quantities and run rates and expectations uh with pricing etc so um honestly it it started off with a a google okay google has been my best friend this whole journey uh and then going out to the facilities and it's just about relationships for me building those relationships and Product is so important. I mean, mm. if the product is not 100%, then regardless of how many Instagram posts or marketing campaigns I do, it, it defeats the purpose of the, the product and it, it can be compromised, evident by, I don't know, frozen berries sure. or strawberries. Like the moment the product is compromised, the, the brand is, loses integrity. Right. So um, I've sat yeah with different suppliers and we developed the blends again obviously I developed them in my kitchen so we had to ensure consistency from batch to batch uh, certifications ensuring food safety um, and and yeah it was kind of a step-by-step process and similar to me just always being a curious soul I've just never acted as if I am an expert right and know exactly what I'm doing and if I don't know you know certain jargon or manufacturing language that people use in that industry, I would just ask, Hey, I have no idea. Do you mind explaining that for me? Um, so that's, that's honestly just worked in my favor. Great. And, um, you know, I've got two more questions for you before um, we wrap up the podcast. Sure. Um, first of them is, um, you know, you've gotten to this point by yourself and you're now starting to bring on people onto the, uh, the mingle team. Mm -hmm. What does the future look like for mingle? The future looks like a, a fully diversified food brand. So at the moment we're developing a few other products in different categories, which is pretty exciting. Right. Are you able to share which categories just yet? Oh, I'm an oversharer, but okay. I'm not going to share that today. <laughs> All right. We'll keep an eye out for <laughs> Stay it. Stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so another exciting thing that I'm working on is um, – so, as I mentioned, having a direct relationship with my customers is still really important. Sure. Um, and so, we're exploring different physical stores to bring the Mingle experience to life more. Right. Interesting. Which is pretty – I'm really excited about. Um, and then the last one is uh, a community project. So, I really want to get more involved in schools right. and around the community and prompting those dinner table conversations. Um Someone at the office the other day said, you should do a Have You Called Your Nan campaign. Right. <laughs> so I, once I get my business set up with, um, with some more resources and team, I really do want to get out into the community and, and share this message really to drive, you know, a social change. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's something I'm really committed to. And, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to I'm That's looking great. forward to that for for Nan and for for future generations because I, I think we're so disconnected in that sense these days. Absolutely, and it brings uh, it ties everything into the philosophy of your company as well, mm-hmm. which is 
really, really great. Yeah. Um, so my last question for you is, if someone wanted to partner with Mingle or stock Mingle or even just be a customer of Mingle, yeah. um, what should they do? What should they do? Head to mingleseasoning.com. Sure. Uh, and and please email us. Um, so let's mingle at mingleseasoning.com. Uh, and our social handles are Mingle Seasoning. You can direct message us, comment, the likes. I'm pretty sure even on the website I have my email address. So I I still am very active with, with customers. I, yeah. I, I love being very hands-on with the business. So my email as well, I'm just going to put it out there, is jordan at mingleseasoning.com. So just email me as well. That's great. So for everyone out there listening who uh, wants to know more about Mingle or potentially stock Mingle, you know how to get in touch with Jordan. Jordan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I learned a lot today. It's been great speaking to you and all the best with Mingle. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to People Building Businesses. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. If you want to get in touch with us with guest suggestions or feedback, email peoplebuildingbusinesses at ybfventures.com. Thanks for listening.